Southeastern Colorado Water Conservancy District. I want to welcome all of you here uh, for this very special day. I want to begin by thanking a couple of the folks, that, um, not the senators, but a couple of others. Uh, Patrick Fisher, Deputy Area Manager of the Bureau of Reclamation, I want to recognize the Bureau for their work on the Arkansas Valley Conduit and for their, their uh, intent of allocating the $60 million to the Arkansas Valley Conduit. Also, want to recognize, and they're not uh, here today, but the contribution that the Colorado Water Conservation Board has made to the Arkansas Valley Conduit project. Also, want to recognize uh, Public Water Waterworks. Seth Clayton will be speaking to you shortly. Um, Public Water Waterworks and Arkansas Valley Conduit's partnership uh, with that entity uh, was invaluable in, in moving this project forward. So, again, uh, we'll hear from Seth. And then we'll hear from Rick Jones, uh, General Manager of the Bay Valley Water Company. But um, in recognizing Rick, I just want to thank Rick and all of the participants in, in the project. Uh, it's been a long time coming. We appreciate their patience. Um, but we're here and we're on the way. So, Senator Bennett, Senator Hagenluber, we're absolutely thrilled to have you here today. Um, we know both of you have, have um, been long invested in this project. Uh, for those of you that don't know, during Governor Hickenlooper's term, uh, or Senator Hickenlooper, when he was governor, wrote many letters on our behalf in support of the project and our attempts to get uh, appropriations um, during his entire time as governor. Senator Bennett, I don't know if he remembers this, but the, the only time I've ever been into what's called the, 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 the Senator Covey, which is a little office in the basement uh, underneath the Capitol. Um, I'll, I'll take you up on that. Um, Christine, I can't remember if Ray was with us, but Christine, Jim, and I met with Mike Connor, which is Joe, and the Senator, uh, to discuss the Arkansas Valley Conduit. And the Senator pledged his support for this project at that time. And it's important to me. Uh, that both these individuals have been a part of this project for many years, they haven't forgotten us, and they realize the importance of this project and what it does for the folks who live in the lower Arkansas Valley. Sometimes uh, folks in the rural areas of the country, but in particular Colorado, feel that we've been left out, and I can say that uh, the work of everyone I've just mentioned and these our two senators uh, has proven that uh, we have not been forgotten. So with that, I don't know who would prefer to speak first, but uh, you go first. No, no. There are traditions. There's a senior center and a junior center. <laughs> I try. Thanks, Bill. Thank you. I try to avoid these traditions as much as possible. I mean, John and I, it's just been ridiculous because a lot of you know that I, I work for John. And the idea that somehow I'm his senior center is a little peculiar. But uh, I'm still, thank you very much. And thank you for uh, letting John and me come celebrate with all of you this great uh, moment. I know Kevin's not here, but I want to say thank you to him uh, and uh, and to Bill for uh, the members of the Southeast Water Conservation Conservancy District who've worked on this project for a lot longer than I've been in the Senate. 
Seth and the Pueblo Board of Waterworks, Becky Mitchell and the Colorado Water Conservation Board for their partnership, the commissioners that are here today, the Bureau of Reclamation, John Hickenlooper for his partnership. I was, by the way, receiving some of those letters that he was writing uh, way back when. And all of you, all of, every single one of you in this room that have worked so hard to make Arkansas Valley conduit a reality. When I became a senator, this was one of the very first things that I heard about uh, because of Bill and, and because of Ray Kaposek, who said to me, this is a promise that was made in 1960 that has uh, been left unfulfilled, and we need to figure out how to, how to get it fulfilled. The very first bill I ever passed was for the Arkansas Valley Conduit, and I still have that, that bill in my office uh, in, in Washington. It required the federal government to put more skin in the game here so Colorado didn't have to bear the cost alone, and we've been able to go out. That bill has allowed us to secure over $140 million for the project since 2009, and we've, and we've continued to fight for it. I should say when Senator Gardner was in the Senate, he also fought for it uh, with, with me, and, um, and then we had the really good fortune of uh, passing a bipartisan infrastructure bill. You know, this is the first time since Eisenhower was president that we have actually invested in the infrastructure of the United States of America in a major way. And John Hickenlooper was in the middle of those bipartisan negotiations. I was pushing very hard for the water uh, infrastructure money, which we've gotten as part of this. That's where this money is coming from, from the Arkansas Valley Conduit and money to, uh, to protect our watersheds, to, to invest in our forests on the front end, so we're not just uh, fighting fires on the back end to the tune of $50,000 an acre, but we're working with Chaffee County and other folks around the state to make sure we're doing things on the front end. And I just couldn't be more pleased to be here today with John. I think that, you know, you think about all the people that have worked on this project for so many years, the people that had those uh, golden frying pans back in the day and who, uh, who have long since passed away, you know, to know that, that we're still here. And I think that's the way America is supposed to work. That's the way Colorado is supposed to work. I hope 100 years from now, first of all, I hope it won't be 100 years from now before the conduit is finished. I want to be alive. I told Bill my goal in life is to be alive when this thing is finished. But, you know, I, I, I think 100 years from now, people are going to remember the investments that have been made here by by America in itself, and it's been um, a long time since the country has invested in itself, and I think this is what it means to invest in America again, and invest, invest in Southeast Colorado, testifies the generations of people that are fighting, who have fought for this, and the generations of people that are going to come after this. John and I yesterday were at um, Floyd Hill on I-70, where um, the those of you that know that stretch of road know that it's an incredible pain point that has been for generations and generations of Americans. We were announcing a $100 million grant there, which is actually the largest federal grant that CDOT has ever, ever received. And it's going to allow uh, that grant, as well as other money that's coming from the federal government, from the infrastructure bill, is going to allow us to fulfill CDOT's 10-year plan um, and, and, and uh, ahead of schedule. So this is an exciting moment 
for all of us. And uh, John, as I mentioned, you know, um, has been an amazing asset in the Senate for Colorado and for the country. Uh, he has never met a stranger, as the people in this room know. And he's made an effort to meet every, I think, every single Republican and every single Democrat. And when there was a group of people put together to, to do the work, um, John was in the middle of that negotiation. This bipartisan infrastructure bill would not have happened without him. I do want to mention one last thing before I get out of your hair, which is there's a provision in here, too, for broadband that literally was written on the west slope of Colorado. I wrote it there with the Delta Montrose Electric Association, who had done such an incredible work delivering high-speed broadband. Uh, to uh, to to their community and to a rural community in America, we had subsidized the biggest telecom companies to the tune of fifty billion dollars before they had figured out the right way to do this. Because of them, I was able to write a bill with, uh, with Rob Portman, who's a Republican from Ohio, and Angus King, who's an independent from Maine, so a tripartisan bill that there was ever one. That's going to make sure that rural America finally, finally, finally is going to get the broadband they deserve so the kids don't have to do their homework as they were doing during the pandemic in Walmart in Walmart parking lots. They're going to be able to do it in their schools and in their homes. As a former school superintendent, this is really important to me because I feel like if we're going to accept a country where some kids have access to broadband and some kids don't have access to broadband, that's the same thing as accepting a country where some kids have access to textbooks and other kids don't, and we can't accept that. And I look forward to being with you when we turn on the tap at the end of the Arkansas Valley Conduit. Thank you for being here today. John, I'm going to turn it over to you. There is uh, something sweetly delightful to have a mentor who's 10 years younger than you <laughs> work for you, especially when they're as good as Michael is. And he has, he was selfless in terms of opening doors, making sure this, I did build relationships, they were with people where we would have advantage. Um, you know, the, I get a lot of credit for the bipartisan infrastructure bill because Joe Manchin kind of decided me and Mark Kelly were freshmen and he put us on that little 10 Democrats, 10 Republicans, so I got to be in the room. But it was amazing, both Republicans and Democrats, when, you know, I'd say, well, this seems like a pretty good idea. And, you know, I, you know, uh, Mitt Romney or, you know, Susan Collins, one of the other Republicans would look over and say, yeah, yeah but what does, what does Bennett say? <laughs> and, and it's a little unnerving, you know, but, but that is a reflection of the respect that he has for both Republicans and Democrats in the Senate. And that's a big reason why we're here today is because... Uh, he has that stature and that allows us to get what we deserve. And I think for a long time, we were getting the short end of the stick again and again when they began digging up infrastructure projects around the country. Um, you know, Colorado's history is written in water. I think it's, uh, what, what's the, the poet laureate's name? I can't remember who wrote that on the wall of the, of the, of the state capitol. But it's true. And drinking water, making sure you've got clean drinking water, is every bit as essential as broadband is. I agree with Michael. You, you can't sacrifice one or the other. These are the essentials of a, of a modern quality of life. Um, and I think that uh, our obligation now that we've gotten this far 
and Michael's and my obligation is not to say it's 15 years, or someone a little while ago told me, well, maybe maybe now we can get it done in eight years. Well, let's let's set a let's see what would it take. How much money do we have to grind out of the federal government to, to get it done in five years? Um, because I think that's the obviously that's the project itself isn't isn't going to be completed. You're not going to be out to everybody's house immediately, so they'll still. You guys don't have to worry. There'll always be plenty of work to be done. Uh, but I do think that we can be more ambitious now because we're going to get closer and. Just from my observations and how Congress works, as you get closer to a project, there is a, a natural excitement about among senators from all the all the states to see a major historic project get completed. And so you guys have all been a big part of this. Um, I know that uh, the work that you've all done really has has paid great dividends. Um, and I also know that probably most of your Constituents and friends don't really appreciate it, uh, but they'll appreciate it when they turn on the taps. That much, I'm, that's that much I'm sure of. So anyway, I'm glad to be here and I'm really grateful to to work with Michael. I, somebody asked me earlier whether I liked being in the Senate because I wasn't sure I ever did. I wasn't, didn't think I was going to. Uh, and I, again, I'm, as I said a moment ago, to somebody, I'm not, not sure what it says about me as a human being, but I love it. And I, I really do love it. I love working with Michael. I love working with with all the different people that are there trying to solve people's problems and, and you know, working together, cooperating for a common good. I mean, that's kind of what this country's built on. That's what you're all believing. That's why you're here. So anyway, we'll get that. Let's say five years. Five years. Five years. And I'm going to say it one more time. You heard it here first. Five years. No. Thank you very much to both of you. Your support of infrastructure bill and conduit, we very much appreciate it. Okay, next up is Patrick Fisher, and I think it's important to note that uh, the, the, the Southeast District, but most importantly, the Southeast District staff and our consultants have established a very good relationship with the Bureau and the Bureau with us, and we very much appreciate that. It's allowed us to move this project forward um, in ways we didn't probably imagine a year ago. So, Patrick. Yeah, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. And I wrote that down five years. <laughs> Got it? Uh, good afternoon. I'm Patrick Fisher with the Bureau of Reclamation. Uh, our commissioner, Camille Tuton, sends her best. So on behalf of leadership, congratulations to the district um, and its participants on this $60 million award uh, for the Arkansas Valley Conduit. We're, we truly do value uh, our continued partnership, and I feel like it's clear that it's stronger than ever. And I also want to acknowledge Pueblo Board of Waterworks. Um, the three entities, the District Reclamation and, and Pueblo Water, have been working together uh, closely over the past two years. So thank you for the time and energy that you put in this project, and we also really value your partnership. So Reclamation fully understands and accepts our responsibility, and we know that we need to make the most of this tremendous opportunity. We, we have a stewardship responsibility here. So I'll just close by saying that we're extremely proud to be working alongside you all and uh, looking forward to developing a clean, reliable, safe, Regional water supply in southeastern Colorado. Thank you very much. 
Unfortunately, uh, no one from CWCB was able to attend today. I guess Becky Mitchell is in Santa Fe working on the very important Colorado River issues. Uh, so Jim Broderick is going to speak uh, on their behalf. Thank you, Bill. Um, yesterday I got a phone call from Becky and she was in Santa Fe working on the Colorado River issues. And she said, I had to stop because I'm so excited uh, I'm not thinking about the Colorado River. I want to be where you are. And I said, well, start thinking about the Colorado River. <laughs> Becky gets so excited. And this is one project that she gets exceedingly excited about. And she's uh, really extremely happy for these dollars. She said, turn around, face the two senators, and tell them thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> she is, is unbelievably uh, pleased uh, by these events. She said to tell you all that her board of directors are uh, equally excited about this project. They she reminded me of a story, so I'm supposed to tell it, and I'm going to tell it. She said, Jim, remember when you came and asked for some money, and you started talking, and your team started talking, and the board kind of listened, and the next thing you knew, you saw tears coming out of people's eyes. And she said, it's the first meeting that she's ever been involved in, that people got so emotional that tears were brought home. You had tears when she told me. So she said, 60 years isn't really a long time. And I told her, yes, it is. <laughs> um, she, she laughed a little bit and she said, yeah, weren't you about five years old when he was here? And I got offended and said, I was 10 years old. <laughs> and, and yes. She wanted to make sure that our board of directors, staff, and everyone who has worked on this over years to make sure that they recognize that this is an important day, an important time, and she too can't wait to be at the end of this project. And she said the same thank you. Good job. Thank you. So next we have Seth Clayton, uh, Executive Director of Public Water of Board of Waterworks. I think you changed your name, didn't you? Pablo Water. But I also want to recognize uh, Pat Garcia. He's on the board, and I don't know if you have any fellow board members here from Pablo Board of Waterworks. Or Chris Woodcock. Chris Woodcock. I forgot Chris. So anyway, uh, it's, it's important we thank all of you folks from Pablo uh, Board of Waterworks. So, Well, thank you, Bill. And uh, I'm honored and appreciate this opportunity to say a few remarks on behalf of our board of directors and our entire staff team. And I wish for this monumental moment that I was as skilled in order as the two senators. <laughs> you know, I'm not on the campaign trail, so I, I, don't, I don't get all the luck for you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I think back to the fact that President Kennedy signed into law that legislation 60 years ago right here in Pueblo. And you think about the past generations, even before that, right? Been working on the Fry Art Project since the 30s, 
and the foresight that people needed back then to care about us today and to care about our future tomorrow. And you know, it always gets me when you hear that speech that Kennedy made that day. And he said, we're going to look to the past and we're going to look to the future and we're going to commit ourselves today. And that's really what this group of individuals have done. And we have, that, that's Board Water Works. We're just so proud to be a part of that. We really are. And as we all know, all of us that work in water, right, you can't get anything done by yourself. It takes those valued partnerships and working together. And so, Senator, thank you. Thank you for your efforts. Patrick, you've been great. Thank you. And last but for sure not least, um, one of the conduit participants, or is representing the conduit participants. Um, again, I'm not going to apologize, but I, I, it is important that we say that we wish it hadn't taken this long. Um, we tried, we tried to deliver it sooner, but Rick can talk a little bit about what. Um, his community's endured and what they're looking forward to. So, Rick. Thank you, Bill. I'm Rick Jones with May Valley Water Association, and uh, just a few months before the bill was signed by President Kennedy, uh, May Valley, some residents gathered in the park in Hawaii and come up with an idea how they could start a water association. And uh, they brought their money and their commitments to that meeting and that's how the association was born and uh, we've been a member of the conduit for quite some time maybe from the very start and uh, we just appreciate everybody's hard work in doing it and the things they do it's been a long road but it's sure nice to see the, the funding and we appreciate the funding to move this forward and uh, yeah we're just excited to see the, the, the start of this to bring the clean water down to that end and uh, we would also welcome the broadband and maybe we can start like the railroad and build them both in the middle instead of that five years so anyway thank you very much so for those of you who don't know rick's um community is not at the very end but almost so <laughs> We'll get there as quickly as we can. Five years. <laughs> so we're right on schedule, 12.55. Um, so I'm going to close out this official session um, of this event. But again, thank you to all of you who have uh, been a part of this project uh, over the past 20 years, and in some cases probably far more than that. Again, gentlemen, thank you. You'll, you, I don't know if you'll ever really know how much this means. And, and you're right, I, I hadn't really thought about it, but it is the largest infrastructure investment we've made in this country since the Eisenhower administration. That was in the 1950s, if I remember right. right. Yeah. That, that's, in, in some ways, a sad commentary. But uh, anyway, thank you. And so what we're going to do now, uh, the senators are going to take questions, uh, not from our group, but from the press. And we'll do that for... I guess until they get their questions answered. Five or ten minutes, and then the event will be over. 
I think that uh, senators are going to stay for a little bit, and the rest of you and the senators are welcome to join us for lunch. So thank you again for joining us today. Thank you. Yeah, I definitely think it was bipartisan. We had a very big vote in the Senate. It was supposed to be 68 votes. 68 yeah. votes. Well, that's unheard of. <laughs> Even in the old days, that's unheard of. <laughs> well, I will tell you, we did get 68 votes for the bipartisan immigration bill in 2013. The House killed that, unfortunately. Um, we would have, we, we would have a lot of, avoided a lot of agony if that bill had passed. But, yeah, it was bipartisan, and um, I suppose evidence of that is that Mitch McConnell voted for it in the, in the Senate. Wow. And the other part is that if you were to take that bill apart, there's a bunch of stuff in that bill I don't like. There's stuff that Michael doesn't like. There's stuff that Ronnie doesn't like. There's, you know, Susan Collins doesn't like. Tom Tillis doesn't like. In other words, everybody had compromised. So that's what bipartisan means in its essence is you're, you're not getting everything you want. But you're listening to the other side and trying to deliver something we can all we all look at as progress. You, you might get a sense of how bipartisan it really is when you see the members of Congress and the House who voted against it trying to take credit for the infrastructure projects in their district. <laughs> <laughs> we're, seeing, we're seeing that all over the country. <laughs> yeah, and I was going to ask you guys. Like, obviously, the people have been trying to get this passed out a long time, get this project going. Why do you think it took so long to give people, you know, the clean water? You know, they deserve. Give people the clean water. They, they deserve here, in Colorado. Yeah, I'm happy to take that. I mean, look, there have been times. You know, there was a there was an energy in the 1950s, and when and when uh, Jack Kennedy came out here to invest in America, in part because we were in the middle of the Cold War back then, competing with the Soviet Union, and I think that when the Berlin Wall fell, um, there was this idea that that was the end of history somehow, and that democracy prevailed all over the world. That a lot of people believe that, and it turns out. That wasn't true. And we, we have, for a long time, been focused on, on cutting taxes for the wealthiest people in America and expecting that it would trickle down to everybody else. By the way, we never paid for any of that. We just borrowed money to, for, to do that. We've focused on two wars that lasted for 20 years in the Middle East. But we have not invested in the country again over that period of time. And that's made it hard for projects like this where people have been collaborating for so many years and where promises were made so long ago that remain unfulfilled. So I hope, just speaking for myself, I hope this is the beginning of a new era in America where we understand that we owe it to each other no matter what political party we're in and maybe ignoring what political party we're in. We owe it to each other as citizens of this country to invest in our country, to invest in our infrastructure, in our human capital, in the next generation of Americans. And and I can tell you that there is a, that one of the reasons why we've been able to get the bipartisan work that we've 
been able to do recently, including this infrastructure package, but also the recent bill that's bringing back the semiconductor industry to Americas for the first time since the 1980s when we let it go. When we basically were saying to folks, we're going to privilege people in our economy that want to make stuff as cheaply as possible in China and Southeast Asia over lots of other things we could have picked, like the strength of our own supply chains, like our national security. You know, with, with the semiconductors, you saw this summer how expensive cars became, new and used cars, and that's because the semiconductors are made in Taiwan. But but our, our most significant semiconductors in our submarines and in our in our in our fighter jets are made in Taiwan, 110 miles off the mainland coast of China. So again, I believe this is there's a bipartisan consciousness that's beginning to emerge. It's about investing in our country, making sure we're driving wages up in the United States of America. And I think that is going to give us the opportunity to organize our thoughts as a country and move past the empty fights that are happening on the cable television at night and start investing here again. It's a long-winded answer. But that's what I think. Do you think it's like an unfulfilled promise? Do you think should it be filled sooner? Absolutely, absolutely, it should have been fulfilled sooner. But I'm glad that you know, almost nothing ever moves in a straight line, and I'm very glad that we're we we all are here to see this. I wish that all the people in 1960 who you know, we're counting on that clean drinking water, you know, coming a lot sooner. We're here to see it too, but their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren will see it. Two more questions. Yeah. Um, additionally, I know typically whenever somebody argues against America being the greatest country on earth, they point to a falling behind infrastructure, but now we're seeing these investments that are getting bipartisan agreement. How much does our nation, not just Colorado, stand to gain from these infrastructure investments? Um, these are great questions, and that's another great question. Yeah. Um, I think, A, building the infrastructure that allows this country to deliver its promise to the next generation and the generation after that is incredibly important. But more important is to see that muscle that's atrophied, where people haven't been working together in Congress, they've been bitterly opposed to somebody on the other, in the other party and, must, and want them to fail no matter what. That muscle is long dormant, uh, except for occasionally, like when you have someone like Michael Bennett that goes and gets, whatever, 69 votes for an immigration bill, 68 votes in 2013. <laughs> you counted every vote. Uh, but, but what now we're seeing is there are enough Republicans and enough Democrats that are saying, hey, China is real. This is not some mirage, we're not sure what we're seeing. We are seeing a rival, a competitor that's dead serious. We've got Russia now with blatant aggression against uh, their free country neighbors. That is going to be the stimulus that's going to force us to get back to running a democracy the way it should work, which means you have to cooperate, you have to collaborate, you're not going to get everything you want, you're going to have to stop playing politics for a while to make the tough decisions that create progress, but if that's what it takes, that's what it takes, we should celebrate it. <laughs> You know, I tell you, that is what, I couldn't totally agree with what John said, that is what she says every time she sits down at a negotiating table with, with somebody in the country, in the world. He says, democracies, you know, that's about the 20th century. In the United States, that's about the 20th century. I can tell you it wasn't helped when 
the capital was overwhelmed on January 6th either because that allowed the Russians and the Chinese and the Iranians to say, see, these guys are collapsing. This stuff doesn't happen in our country. And so I think there really is a lot at stake, and we're in an amazing position. If we could just get our political system to work decently, you know, the innovation, the entrepreneurship, the, the economic system that we have, combined with the energy resources that we have, combined with our food production in the United States, where you look at all of that together, and I would never bet against where we are if we get our act together. Was there something about timing or something about the way that this infrastructure bill that was structured that made this possible, this go-around, to get funding for this project, whereas maybe it hadn't in previous decades and generations? Um, I don't know if you could talk about just... I definitely can say something about that. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and and the, the, I mean, the bipartisan law itself came into being without this project in its mind's eye, although there are billions of dollars for Western water infrastructure in there because we fought for that to get it in there, and this is a piece of that. Um, but it's because this group of people here has been so committed to it and has worked so collaboratively with the Bureau of Reclamation and with each other that when we went banging on the doors and they were looking for things that were actually ready to fund, this was ready to fund. And that, there are a lot, believe me, there are a lot of competing projects out there that could have wanted this money. They were not as well organized as this one was. And I, and I also think the sort of relentless drumbeat that Bill was talking about earlier, decades worth of correspondence to Washington and governors saying we need this, and county commissioners showing up back there saying we need this, all of that help. And it's just, you just never know when the timing's going to be right. And if you're not prepared, then you, you miss it when the timing is right. This group of people was incredibly well prepared. Thank you. Uh, communities have been waiting for this project to be completed for decades, as you, as you both mentioned. But um, Senator Hickenlooper, you, know, you kind of mentioned five years to really kind of motivate them. But you're concerned that like inflation, supply chain issues, labor shortages are going to it's going to impact that kind of timeline, that you know, a longer timeline might be more realistic. I'm worried a little bit about the five-year thing. because No, 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 because I said I want to make sure I'm still here with this project. The sooner it's completed, I mean, I don't want to have to draw it out. Um, so, just to kind of encapsulate the, the inflation issues which we which we see, which are real, um, and the labor issues, and, and labor issues, I don't. I look at what this country's done over the last twenty five years. Michael talked about some of this, where we allow ourselves to outsource the manufacturing and assembly of all kinds of critical, not just chips, but everything. Uh, to other parts of the world. And in, in the process of doing that, business recognized that if they could get by and find a system where they didn't have to keep inventory. If you think if you've got a business and you're selling radios, and suddenly you don't have to have any more inventory, 
So the inventory sits there, sometimes it gets out of date, you can't sell it at the end, it costs you money to have it on the shelf all that time. It's what, 10%, 12% of industry saves that money if they can get rid of, of inventory. How do they do that? Just-in-time manufacturing, right? These incredibly complex you know, supply chains that we couldn't even imagine in the old days. You need algorithms to, to really keep them all working. And basically, we got rid of you know, inventory to a large extent, which was a boon, a productivity boon for the entire country, but it left us vulnerable in the case of a natural disaster, like a pandemic, where the whole, first time in history, the entire global economy shut down. Well, if you've got complex supply chains that are taking 20 years to create, each little change gets you one one hundredth of a percent, you're, all, you're trying to get to that magical 10 or 12%, suddenly, you, you, you can't rebuild them tomorrow. That is a huge part of, of the inflation. Then you've got a commodity like oil, right? Our energy commodity that is uh, that Russia's using as a weapon in their in their aggression, their attacks on, on uh, Ukraine. These are things, I mean, labor is relatively speaking a, a relatively small part of it. And working people, this inflation, whatever they're getting in raises, the, the inflation is, is more than that, but most of that inflation is going to come back down. Once we digest the supply chain problem and, and get back to, maybe we'll have smaller inventories, but we'll still you know, be a lot leaner than we used to be. And we're going to look at getting more wind and solar. We transition to a cleaner economy, which we've got to do for the, for the planet anyway, but it's going to allow us to be free, finally, of the threats and, uh, and aggression that we had to deal with from the Middle East and, and the large oil producers, whether it's Venezuela or Iran, you pick your pick your medicine. Ultimately, we're going to come out of this and be on the better side of it. And I think that's where I look at, and the inflation's a mess. I'm sure we could both say all over the state, we hear about it pretty much everywhere we go. But the lion's share of it is, is, is a combination of supply chain, shortages, uh, and commodities that are beyond anybody's individual control. And that I personally, I'm not tying Michael this, when we see all these workers getting raises, well, Michael was defining this. this. This is a problem the country's had over the last 30 or 40 years, that wages have not kept up with economic growth. So working people have gotten the short end of the stick. Well, now they're getting to catch up a little bit. Let's not throw the baby out in the bathwater. Again, I'm not... You know, I'm going to get Michael. Michael's going to kick me under the table here in a second. But I, I, I think we've raised the interest rates plenty. And I don't think we want to, I mean, I like a strong labor force, and I don't think that's in any way unhealthy. And if you keep raising inflation or interest rates, you make it hard for working people that have charge card debt and things like that. And you make it hard for all the little entrepreneurs that are just trying to start a business, which we've seen a wave of that coming. We want to keep that. So I... I worry, not that anybody listens to, I mean, I've never taken an economics class in my life. Um, most of all, I've learned about economics, I've learned across the water. Um, but I, I do think that this is a, a time where the, we're in a, it, it, it appears worse than what it really is. And, and we'll get through this election, and then we can actually roll our sleeves and, and be a lot more candid about how do we su fix these supply chains and how do we deal with the commodity issues. I'm sorry, I took too long. What? <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I think we'll get through it. It, it is amazing to 
John, John said, you know, this was an economic downturn unlike any other economic downturn that we've had in our lifetimes because it was the result of COVID. And the entire world, the economy collapsed at the same time and then came back at the same time. And that's the reason why, you know, if you look at Canada, the UK, the, um, the India, I mean, everybody's facing similar inflation whether the government spent money or not. Yeah, two years ago, energy was at 20 bucks a barrel, and then it came up to 93 bucks, and then Putin invaded Ukraine and shot up to 125 bucks a barrel. So I think this is an amazing moment for our country to reconsider the way our economy works, and just in the nick of time, because we've got the worst income inequality that we've had since the 1920s and a lack of economic mobility in rural parts of Colorado, the rural parts of the country, and and we can get through that. And we're going to see, I think, incredible innovation as a result of that. So um, I'll, I'll pass along for the good of the order this um, on timing and on dying. Uh, we have votes in the Senate that are supposed to be 10 minutes long. That's how long, the, but the votes are never 10 minutes long. You're however long it takes for somebody to, the last person to get there, which has led Lindsey Graham, who's from South Carolina, for Republican from South Carolina, to say that when he's dying, he hopes that it's in the middle of a 10 minute vote. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you all for being here. That's today's event. Again, thank you all for joining us. And thank you, Senator. Thank you. For the people of Southeast Colorado, with your Southeast Colorado News, I'm Ingrid Hart. Long, long time. Before I ran for commissioner, I was the president of the South Sweet Water Company. Okay. So I've been kind of You've been involved, involved in the quite a while. project yeah. for a while. So I... This is the best thing. The best thing that happened when we got to the pebble. Right. That was the big, big jump. Okay. And now that now, now we're looking like we're moving forward at a faster pace than we ever had. Very good. And I'm, uh, I'm really happy to see, and I'm glad we're having a, a bipartisan support on this instead of just. That's why nothing gets done. Right. Because everyone's too busy <laughs> playing, time. playing politics instead of getting stuff done. That's what I feel. But. Well, they were getting stuff done today. Yes, it sounds like they are. All right. We're moving in the right direction. All right. Of course, we're at the Pueblo Water Conservancy District uh, uh, covering southeast Colorado. We just saw the presentation with President Bill Long. Uh, we had a couple senators, Bennett and Hickenlooper, both here. Yes. Uh, we're looking at the big map of the project. And kind of right here, we're on the map. We aren't at the end of the line. But it's a couple years out. The joke was that it's a five-year completion right. plan, right. and I don't—that wasn't a joke. Nope. That, that's no, serious. That's that's where they—that's what they're wanting to end at. All right, or make it done by then. Yes. Clean drinking water in five years for Otero County, and on towards the border. And I—it's and I, a—it's the old whole side of the state here, from Pueblo to almost the Kansas line. And the, we need good drinking water out here. We're going to have people. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you for putting it plain for the for the folks at home, John. I appreciate that. Um, and of course, uh, Amy, uh, what's your input on I me? Mean, you've been remarkably quiet. Usually, you're the one talking. <laughs> 
yeah, it's, I think it's almost an attitude of celebration. Yep. Um, I'm a fourth generation Arkansas Valley uh, citizen, and it's just it's thrilling. It's exciting. It feels like it's a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm sure my grandparents talked about this, and yep. I have grandchildren that this will benefit as well. So um, thrilled. Yeah. It's a big win. Thrilled. Yep. Very big win. A sixty million dollar win to bring clean drinking water to the people of Southeast Colorado. Thrilled to be part of it. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much, guys. All right. For John Hostetler and Amy White-Tanabe, I'm Adrian Hart from Pueblo, Colorado with your Southeast Colorado News.